So the question I'm going to look at is, is the church out of touch? British culture, I guess, is more culturally diverse, more kind of morally diverse than ever before. In that diversity, surely one could argue, and you can look at the church and you say, and it's lost it. It's, you know, society has moved on. It's been left behind the church. It's outdated. It is out of touch. Ethically, I think we, you might look at society and think, we can live quite civilly amongst each other without any kind of rules or regulations from God and his Bible, thank you very much. You know, you look at science, and there's usually a programme at BBC One about nine o'clock with Brian Cox, you know, and he'll tell you that, you know, that science is, well, that's kind of just push God aside. The empirical evidence has said, uh, that we, there's no need for God in our understanding of the world anymore. But I think it's probably morally that where the church seems most out of touch. I mean, who is God to tell you what to do on a Friday night? That's how you feel, I think. And many of us therefore choose to engage with God and sort of say, I, I, I don't want to engage too much, thank you very much, because it might have to change the life that I really quite enjoy at the moment. No, thank you very much, God. I don't want to look at all the evidence, thank you. Let's just park it for this time of my life. Now, there are remnants, aren't there, of Christian morality, which we all kind of appreciate. The justice system, for example, is founded on many biblical principles. We enjoy that. We want that in our culture. But even they are gradually being eroded by kind of vocal minorities to justify their own morality. But if there is no moral kind of divine arbiter or judge, then who is left to judge what is right and wrong? Are you happy to take up that? Do you want to do that? Or do you just want to kind of leave it to kind of the masses in a kind of a relativistic kind of way, uh, to, to probably through politicians to decide what is right and wrong in this country? So is the church out of touch? It probably seems it, doesn't it? To a great deal of us. A simple answer to the question is, yes, probably. But not for the reasons that I think you think it's out of touch. The common op- objection that I hear often uh, to the Christian faith is saying, well, you know, I, I can't do with the church. I, I like the idea of Christianity, but the church just seems odd. It seems strange, weird. I don't want to go anywhere near that. Thank you very much. Is that the hurdle between you and God? The church? It may be. And what I'm going to try and show you this, mor- uh, this morning, this afternoon... Uh, is that Christians, the church, wherever they are in the world, at whatever point in history you look in the world, they will always be out of touch in some way. But at the same time, they will be incredibly in touch with the culture around them and where they live and where they operate. And as a result of that, the church has always been and always will be both rejected by the world but also received by the world. They'll be persecuted by the world, but also praised by the world. I actually received an email last night from uh, a friend of ours, a friend of the church, um, who some of you will know here. uh, What we might call a missionary. You know what I mean by that, don't you? They've, They've gone overseas to tell people about Jesus. They work in a Christian hospital in a place called Madagascar. And uh, they're doing a great work out there. They, they are um, telling people about Jesus, but at the same time they're working in a hospital 
and the indigenous population around the hospital absolutely love them. They're providing health care, which they would never receive if they weren't there. They love that. They're appreciative of it. And yet one of the team has been murdered in the last week. The police commissioner of the local area has come round to the hospital and spoken to the director of the hospital. And he assures the director, he says, well, you know, we love you being here. We value you being here. I don't know what we'd do if you weren't here. And yet in the same breath he says, I can't guarantee your safety any longer. The church family know who I'm talking about and we will pray for them more and more over the next uh, few days. But that is the reality for the biblical church. That is the reality for Christians the whole way around the world and in every moment of history that you look. Christians will always be both rejected and they will, be, they will also be received. Those verses, just cast your eyes down, we'll look at those in a moment, and you'll see that in those verses. That's what we're going to be looking at. Let me give you a bit of a brief picture, though, of the the letter itself, of 1 Peter, what's happening. The church had faced this huge opposition under the reign of Emperor Nero. You can read about that in Roman, uh, Greek history, and also Christian history. Um, He had begun to... um, We started a fire, if you remember, in Rome, didn't he? Late 50s, maybe early 60s, 61, I think people claim. And he needed someone to put the blame on. He needed a patsy. So he found the Christians. He said, they did it. It was clear that he did it, but he said, they did it. The Christians did it. And here is how Tacitus, the Roman historian, not a Christian historian, but a Roman historian, described the fate of the Christians after Nero pinned the fire on them. They were put to death with refined cruelty. And Nero added scorn and derision to their sufferings. Some were clad in the skins of wild beasts and thrown to the dogs to be devoured. Others were nailed to a cross. Others burnt alive and still others covered with flammable material, which, when, uh, which was then set on fire to serve as torches after sunset in Nero's garden. It, it actually gets a lot worse, but I thought I'd better not. The persecution was so dreadful for the Christians that what happened, and it says it right in the first verse of the letter, 1 Peter, of this letter. He said that the church had to scatter. They had to get out of there. The persecution was too great, and they scattered to a place that we now know as Turkey and to the northern regions of Turkey. And so Peter writes to these, well, pretty worn out and very nervous Christians He writes them this letter that would have been passed from town to town, from village to village, from these little gatherings of Christians that nervously met in houses uh, to pray and to, to read the Bible, to read the scriptures. And they would have read this letter to each other. It was written by the apostle, that is the appointed and empowered um, apostle of Jesus Christ, the sent one of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, And they would have read this letter knowing it had come with that kind of authority. That is the the king who they worship, who defeated death himself. And they were getting a letter from him through this man named Peter. In a sense, it was a comfort even of itself, the fact that it came from him, an apostle. But there is great comfort and assurance in the letter, but there's also this earthly reality. Let me read those couple of verses. Cast your eyes down with me again, just so we get a flavour of what was going on. This is the earthly reality of which they felt every day. 
Dear friends, I urge you, your aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. But he's saying, live such good lives among the non-Christians that it really is. That though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now within any church or religious group, there's this balance between integrating into the society in which you live in and the integrity which you're trying to keep of the doctrines, the truths that are the central to your faith. And generally a church or a religious group will favour one over the other or emphasise one over the other. Let me give you two very quick examples from the, the church perhaps around us in our, in our culture, in this world. Because that is probably where you've made your assumptions about what the church is. You may have dismissed the church, and you've probably made them from these kind of churches. Let me describe them to you. Firstly, you might know the liberal church. Now, you know, in the sleepy Cotswolds somewhere, just picture that place. You know, I'm not saying anything about the Cotswolds. I love the Cotswolds, by the way, so don't, don't panic. But let me ask three quick questions of the liberal church. What do they do? Well, that kind of church, what they do is they assimilate. They blend into the culture around them. They hold very few distinctive views. They're doctrinally loose, you might say. Everyone loves the liberal church. Because you can all go and sit down there, and they provide no offence to anyone. Why do they do that? Two reasons. They do it because they fear, and because they long for power. They fear because they fear what people might say about what they believe. So they water down the claims of Jesus. Uh, they dilute the character, the nature of God and eternity. And God is reduced to a very comfortable construct of the middle class England. The liberal church is motivated, motivated by fear, but also power as well. Because if you want political influence, if you want to get invited to the nice, the nice parties of the social elite, well, you want to get involved in a liberal church. Because that's what they get. They get power. Because they act, if you like, like a comfort blanket to the ruling classes. They're comfortable to be around. They're warming. And they're no offence at all. Third question is what happens as a result? Well, they get what they want. Because they assimilate into the world. They make everyone feel comfortable as possible. Because they proclaim no hard truths. That's the liberal church. They integrate into society. But they lose their doctrinal integrity. They've emphasised integration over doctrinal integrity. They're completely out of touch with God, but completely in touch with the world. Let me go to another kind of church that you may know. It's a bit more difficult in, in our culture, but let's say a more fundamental church, okay? Let me ask the same three questions. What do they do? Well, they hold very tightly to a body of beliefs. They look at the Bible and say, yeah, I believe that, 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 and that, and that. And therefore, to survive, what they do is they withdraw from society. And you can see that uh, in Christian churches. But actually, you'll probably more obviously see it in other religious groups. Let's take, for example, Muslims in London and the ghettoizing of their cultures. Why do they do it? Same reasons, actually, as the liberal church. Firstly, because they fear, and secondly, because they long for power. They fear because they, they, they don't want people to comment on what, what they believe and to deride what they believe and what they wear, maybe, as well. Secondly, because they, they want power. 
They gain power by ch- sort of chucking stones at the world, by vilifying the world and saying, oh, you're a bunch of kind of you know, simpletons. You don't follow our kind of beliefs, our type beliefs. And it's interesting, is it, that they're never without any money. So if you hold to a very, very tight group of beliefs and you withdraw from the world, there's always people who will support you. What happens as a result? Well, they stay away from the world. They withdraw from the world. They're not integrated in the world and they throw their stones as much as they possibly can. Are they out of touch? Well, they both are, aren't they, for very different reasons. The liberal church is completely out of touch with God and the fundamental church is completely out of touch with the world. One emphasizes integration, one emphasizes kind of an integrity. These are my beliefs. But there is another option. That's what I want to focus on today. And that is the option that we see here in these two verses in 1 Peter. This scattered, persecuted church. Because I guess you may have dismissed the, uh, the, the Christian faith because you think the church is completely out of touch because you've had these kind of, and I caricature, of course I have, but you, you know, you've seen the liberal church, you've seen the fundamental church, and you said, I don't want anything to do with those people, thank you very much. Let me show you a third option if I can, very quickly. And that is the biblical church. And what I mean by that is a, is a body of Christian believers who long to listen to God in his word, the Bible. That is, they're teachable. They're also humble. They realize that they're not perfect and they they just receive the mercy of God. That's all they have, the kindness of God. And it is a church that trusts solely on the grace of God, shown in Jesus Christ dying on a cross. That is, when he died, he took a punishment that my rebellion against God deserves and yours too but is this kind of biblical church out of touch it's not arrogant rather it humbly holds to the truths revealed in God's word the Bible and the world is hostile to those truths at times but is that is that church out of touch what does it emphasize? Does it emphasize that integration, or does it emphasize this kind of truth of this, uh, the, the integrity of its doctrine? What, which one does it emphasize? Well, let me let me just ask the same three questions that I asked of the other church, of that church. What do they do? Well, they don't emphasize either integration or the integrity of their doctrine. What they have to do is they have to hold the two in tension. And you see that in the verse I've read, we've we've had read there. You see, it says. The alien strangers, what do they need to do? They need to abstain, it says, firstly. That is, they need to hold on to what the Bible teaches and, and maybe not do what everyone else is doing in the world. They need to abstain. And secondly, they're also to live. Look what it says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They need to abstain. And at the same time, they need to live. They need to and hold on to their doctrinal truths and integrate into society at the same time. Why do they do it? Well, not for the reasons that the other churches state, but actually simply because they want to please God. It's not going to please anyone else. And what happens as a result? Well, verse 11 says, look at it, it says, it says, dear aliens and strangers. That's a bit of an odd phrase to say, isn't it? Catherine, I think, has, has been dedicated today, and we pray that she will grow up one day, it sounds odd, doesn't it, to be an alien, to be an alien and a stranger. Did you write that in your cards today, anyone? <laughs> and why not? 
We will pray that um, as she grows up, she will be less and less in touch with the world around her. That's what we're going to pray today. That sounds strange, doesn't it? That she'll always be different in the playground. But at the same time, she'll be recognised in the playground as the most loving, as the one who befriends everyone, as the one who will always remain true to what she believes. She needs to abstain and live. And that's what we're praying for her. And that is what the biblical church, that is what Christians are. They are those who are called by God, but there are inevitable consequences. And do you see them? Look at verse 12. If you can, that second verse there. It says, live such good lives among the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they also might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. There will be accusation. Catherine will have a hard time sometimes if she grows up to love and know the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be accusation that she's living in a particular way and it makes others feel perhaps guilty for the way that they are living. But you also see that the flip side is there'll also be recognition as people will see the goodness in the Christian life. And they'll be thankful. They'll want to glorify God on the day he returns. And that is true today, and it's been true throughout the whole of history. It was the good deeds of uh, Christians in this country that brought about the abolition of slavery. Literally three miles up the road at Clapham Common, Holy Trinity Clapham Common. Uh, Wilberforce met there with what's now called the Clapham sect. And they prayed together and they worked to make changes within Parliament for the abolition of slavery. It's three miles away it happened. If you weren't, uh, another change that happened was with Lord Shaftesbury for the protection of young children. That they were not able to work from the age of four, I think it was the beginning of Victorian times. The, The age was raised, education was brought in for children because of Christians who prayed, who worked in society in order that changes could be made. Do you know Christians today still provide more overseas aid and more charitable giving for the poor and needy in this country than any other people group? By a mile? See, this is the biblical church. So are Christians out of touch? Is the church out of touch? Yes. And it always will be. We will always be aliens and strangers, but there's a no there as well. Because they should always live, showing their good deeds. The Roman historian Suetonius described Christians as another genus, he said. He said they're another species when he described them in some of his historical writings. And he said that because Christians, they didn't keep their faith private. It shaped actually the way that they lived. And they were just a couple of verses back in 1 Peter. Peter describes them as a, as a holy nation, a chosen people belonging to God. That made a difference. When you become a Christian, you are someone different. You're a new species, he's saying. They were different and he noticed it. He wasn't a Christian. Christians have become this kind of counterculture. They were, the word aliens actually in, in verse 11 there, is, means resident aliens. Not aliens from outer space, but strangers that live amongst us. They seem weird though, don't they? And they seem weird to Suetonius. And he mentioned a number of things actually which made them seem weird. 
Firstly, they didn't go to the blood sports. I mean, there's not many in Ellsfield, either. But, you know, imagine, they didn't go to any of those things because they thought they were barbaric. And they were considered, Christians, were antisocial as a result. They didn't serve in the military conquest of Caesar because they felt they were unjust as well. They were against abortion and infanticide. And that was considered very odd at the time. If you had a girl, for example... It was very normal, because they weren't economically viable, to leave them out in the cold and they would die of exposure. And that was, that was perfectly normal. <coughs> Christians were different, though. Christians empowered women into leadership, and that was very different to the society at the time. They were against sex outside of marriage, and that was very weird for the time. They were against same-sex practices, and that was weird at the time. They were radically for the poor. That was incredibly strange at the time. They, they mixed races of people. They mixed classes of people. That was completely bonkers to the Greco-Roman culture. And they believed that Christ was the only way to being saved. That is, for heaven, eternally. And if you walk into a Greco-Roman culture where there's many, many, many ways being projected to get to God, that was, again, off the planet. It was something completely different. So Christians, you see, were aliens. No one had ever seen people like this before. But that was then. Okay, that's what Suetonius was writing about. What about now? Are Christians strangers now? I mean, what if people follow the same kind of values that I've just mentioned and Suetonius mentioned there? You know, rejected kind of blood sports or gory things, militarism, you know, empowering women, opposing classes and racism and serving the poor. Now that sounds kind of liberal, doesn't it? You know, if, if Christians would follow those values, that would sound kind of liberal, wouldn't it? And that's fine here, but you take us to the Middle East or Far East and we're still aliens and strangers. You take the other ones, which I haven't mentioned, you know, the, um, the opposing abortion, sex outside of marriage, same-sex practices, insisting that Jesus is the only way to God. It sounds horribly conservative, horribly fundamental, doesn't it, to you here in a Western culture, to the Middle East and to the Far East, that's, yeah, you're right with us there. You see, wherever a Christian may be, whatever they hold to, they're always going to be aliens and strangers. We do not fit into the Western liberal culture, and we do not fit into traditional legalistic Middle Eastern or Eastern cultures. Christians do not fit with fundamentals, they do not fit with liberals. We have always been aliens, and always will be aliens. But we're not to be removed from the culture around us. We are called to serve and love the people around us. We're not called to assimilate, blend in, Completely, and we're not called to attack. We're called to live, as it says in verse 12, such good lives. Of course, Christians and the church will be rejected, but there, there will also be this kind of confused acknowledgement yeah, they, they're doing a good job. Uh, we appreciate the work that they're doing in that work, in that work, in that work, benefiting culture around them. It was actually the great concern of the Roman Empire, and uh, uh, one particular Caesar, Justin the Apostate, who was the last non-Christian Roman emperor uh, in power, wrote to a friend called, I've got to say this carefully because you'll see why, Arsacius, got to be careful I'd say that quickly, and he, and he admitted that his fears about Christians, they couldn't be substantiated. He wrote, he was totally ashamed of how his citizens were behaving, and remarking on how the Christians behaved. He said this, well, when they do, when they do, 
So why then do we think that this is sufficient and do not observe how the kindness of Christians to strangers um, occurs? Their care for the burial of the dead, uh, their sobriety of lifestyle has done most to advance their cause. And he goes on, it's disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar and the impious Galileans, and that was his way of describing Christians, impious Galileans, support our poor in addition to their own. He was saying, we're in charge, but we can't even look after our own poor. The Christians are doing that, the ones we're actually persecuting. And what he was recognising that Christians today and throughout history, in quiet and in very humble means, have lived as resident aliens. They will be rejected, but they will also be received. They will be persecuted, but they will also be praised. So is the church in touch? No, but yes. The church is to be unalienated, that is, integrated into society, aliens, different from society. But if you're part of a church here, I I just want to finish with this. Why would you bother? It just seems a bit difficult, doesn't it? Well, because we love God more than we love ourselves and our own comfort. And we know and trust that Jesus is the king of an eternal kingdom. He's demonstrated that in his defeat of death and his resurrection, which not only Christian historians have written about, but also Roman and Greek historians have written about. He's the king of an eternal kingdom that is worth living for and makes sense of today and guarantees an eternity with him as well. Do you dare look at the evidence? Because I guess many of you here have just said, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, The church seems to be completely out of touch. I don't want to engage. I don't want to actually look at the evidence. Can I say, I dare you. Look at it. I mean, the big thing may be that does our fundamentals put you off? Those things that I mentioned that distinguish Christians from non-Christians, does that put you off? Well, they are, if you like, the outworkings of the fundamental of the Christian faith. And the fundamental of the Christian faith I've printed on your sheets right at the bottom. Let's close with that. It's verse 24 of the same passage. And it says this. He, that is Jesus, bore our sins. He took a punishment for the rebellion of God against God that I deserve and you deserve. He did that in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And as a result, by his wounds, you have been healed. I want you, if if you (coughs) be so kind, to think about the fundamentals of the Christian faith. That is that Jesus was willing to take a punishment that you deserve so that you could be with God for eternity and be healed, cleansed, made right with God for eternity. So have a look. Dare to investigate. And please forgive the Christians that you know if we haven't lived such good lives amongst you so that you haven't been intrigued to see what our motivation is and what our, if you like, is the power behind what we do and why we live. Forgive us for that if we haven't lived such good lives amongst you. 
because we should attract you to the saving message that Jesus died on a cross for your sin in your place. But please do ask questions. Because why you remain in the dark, why you just you don't want to invest your heart and your mind in this, while you are doing that, you are, if you like, playing a great wager with your life and your family's lives. <coughs> Investigate. Find out what these two believe and what we're praying that Catherine will grow up to believe and trust in with her whole life that she might be an alien and a stranger too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if some of those things have been confusing, please forgive me. But if there are any people here today who would long to know more of what it means to be an alien and stranger in this world, to be a Christian, to be part of a church, your church, Please help us all to be honest with ourselves, honest with our own hearts and minds, to investigate, to look at the evidence and to see that living according to your word, that is abstaining from some things in this world, but living such amazing lives as well, that honours you. That is a great way to live now. But most importantly, it is a life that trusts in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who on the cross died so that we might live for eternity with you. Lord, we thank you very much for Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service.